the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The Bible stands like a rock undaunted mid the raging storms of night. His pages burn with the truth eternal and they glow with the lights of God's holy word stands today as the only infallible, inerrant guide for a confused and decaying world. On this program, it is clearly presented to you in language related to the troublesome questions and problems of our times. Its answers have the integrity and authority of God's everlasting truth. You'll enjoy its candor and clarity as presented now by our Bible expositor, Wayne Carver. Welcome to today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. Today I'd like to bring you the first of a series of messages that I call the True Peace. Our text for this study is found in John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. These words were spoken by the Lord to his disciples in the upper room just before his going forth to Gethsemane for his betrayal and arrest. The passage records a portion of the Lord's final pre-resurrection ministry instructions to those who were his own. Let me open today's message by reading our text from John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. The English word peace is one of the most common words used in our society today. It means a great number of things to a great many people. Webster's Dictionary contains several definitions of the word. One, a pact or agreement to end hostilities between those who have been at war or in a state of hostility. Two, a state of tranquility or quiet, especially freedom from civil disturbance or war, and public order or security as provided by law. Three, harmony in personal relations, mutual concord. Four, freedom from fears, agitating passions, moral conflicts, and so forth. Five, one who or that which makes or maintains peace. And six, to be quiet. To be silent. All of these definitions have meaning and application to the way the word peace is used in America today. However, the word is most often used in its political sense, that is, freedom from civil disturbance or war. We even have a symbol, a broken inverted cross enclosed in an oval that supposedly stands for this kind of tranquility. The word is imprinted on the garments of the flower children and social reformers of our day. Among those of this persuasion, the word peace is used as both a greeting and as a word of departure. 
To those who promote this kind of reform, the word, and what it stands for, has become the most important objective of their lives. That this word and concept have become so prominent in the lives of so many today is not totally unexpected to those who know and believe God's word. In his prophecy of the coming of the day of the Lord, with its opening seven-year tribulation period, the Apostle Paul spoke of the mood of the people of the earth in this way. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Thus, God's word tells us emphatically that the word peace is to become an extremely important concept to the world at the very time that the political systems of the world are on the brink of the greatest series of wars ever to be fought. Those of the world who voice this cry of peace and safety are the unsaved who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They are residents of this world only, and they have no hope beyond it. Their sins are not washed away by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and in God's sight they are the wicked. It's ironical that the greatest cry of the unsaved of the world is peace, when God has clearly stated, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Rather, speaking of the times when this cry of Peace shall go out, the Lord said, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye, those who know the Lord, be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nations, and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. The prophet Jeremiah, in two different places, Jeremiah 6.14 and Jeremiah 8.11, spoke of this cry of the last days with the words, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. The world of unsaved men will promote its brand of peace to the maximum extent possible while being further from it than mankind has ever been before. Why is it that the world cannot achieve the peace that is supposedly evaluated so highly? It's because they have rejected the Prince of Peace. The world rejected him, and he went back to heaven, taking the world's peace with him. But before he went away, he did leave behind his true peace, a peace that is manifested only in the hearts of those whose sins are forgiven because they know him as their personal Savior. Although John's record of the Upper Room Discourse continues on for several more chapters, it's likely that, at the conclusion of the words that I read to open this program, our blessed Lord and His disciples arose from the supper table where they had been observing the Passover, and of course that which followed, the institution of that most sacred of all feasts of the Church, that which we call the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus Christ had washed His disciples' feet, he had told them of the Father's love, and he had told them of the coming of the Comforter, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit. As the Lord said, Arise, let us go hence. They all rose up together and started on the way to Gethsemane, where the blessed Lord was to enter into that hour of sorrow before going on to the judgment hall and the cross. His words have peculiar force as we think of the circumstances under which they were spoken. 
peace, he says, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Lord was going away. This was something that the disciples were confused about, and they did not know yet how to accept his words. But he did make one thing clear. He was leaving behind something that would leave their hearts content and would satisfy their longing for his personal presence. He, the Prince of Peace, was leaving behind that peace which he had brought into the world. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. The prophet Isaiah, writing over 700 years before the birth of this one who spoke to his disciples, had said of him, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In fulfillment of Isaiah's prediction, the angels sing at his birth, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And yet the sad fact that cannot help to, but to occupy each and every one of us today is this. After almost 20 centuries, over 1900 years of gospel preaching, this world knows less peace than it's ever known before. To the world this seems a paradox. However, the informed Christian knows that our Lord indicated that such would be the case before he went away. And the reason he gave was this, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation and the things that belong to thy peace. Further, we're told in the first chapter of this gospel, he came unto his own world and his own people received him not. The Lord Jesus Christ presented himself to the people of Israel as their king, and he had all the necessary credentials. They responded to this presentation with the words, We will not have this man to reign over us. The attitude of that chosen nation has been the attitude of the world ever since. To this day, men still say that. In Pilate's judgment hall, our Lord Jesus Christ was rejected in this specific character, that of king. Pilate asked, What? Shall I crucify your king? And the Jews replied, We have no king but Caesar. Just think how they particularly have suffered under all the Caesars since they spoke those fateful words. It has all been because of that tremendous mistake. To the world, the Savior said before he went away, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. By these words, our blessed Lord meant that if man did not receive him and the truth he brought, which was to make them free, then they must still remain in bondage to sin. They must remain in bondage to sin with all of its dreadful consequences. And those consequences included no peace for this earth. The Lord foresaw all these scenes of strife and bloodshed that the world has experienced since that day. Therefore, when the disciples had asked him, what shall be the sign of thy coming? He replied, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. But the end is not yet. Yet in light of his foreknowledge of all human history, just before he went away, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
in spite of all the world was to undergo with no peace for the wicked. Our Lord did say that there was a peace, a true peace, for those who belong to him. What a wonderful thing it is to have peace, total peace, in a world that can know no peace. That is the privilege of those who are the saved of the Lord. That is an absolute and non-recallable gift to those who accept this blessed Savior, this Prince of Peace. My time is gone for today. We'll continue our study of the true peace on the next broadcast exactly where we leave off today. So glad of this opportunity to come into your home with another broadcast of The Bible Stands. The subject of my message today is the true peace. We're considering the words of our Lord delivered in that upper room just before his betrayal and arrest that are recorded in John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. There the Lord spoke of the peace that he was leaving behind as he returned to his Father's house in heaven. He said that this true peace would contrast with all the false peace that the world has to offer. The world cannot know the true peace of God because there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked, according to Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 22. Because of this, Jeremiah says that the world will cry, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. How does the Lord's peace contrast with the false peace of the earth? Before we answer that question, let me read our text from John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. The Lord had just told his disciples that he was going away, and they were greatly saddened by the news. They didn't fully understand his purpose for them in this inter-advent age. They still had their minds focused on Jehovah's promises to the chosen nation Israel. Therefore, his words of departure had left those followers in great confusion. That confusion resulted in greatly troubled hearts. It was to those who were in such a state of agitation and turmoil that the Lord said these words, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. When the Lord came to earth, he was presented to man as the one who was to bring peace. Remember the prophet Isaiah, writing more than 700 years before the birth of Christ, had predicted that his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Angels sing at his birth, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. 
And yet the sad fact that cannot help but occupy each and every one of us today is this. After more than 19 centuries, more than 1900 years of gospel preaching, this world knows less peace than it's ever known before. To the inhabitants of the world, this seems a paradox. However, the informed believer knows that our Lord indicated that such would be the case before he went away. The reason he gave was this, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation and the things that belong to thy peace. Further, we're told in the first chapter of this Gospel of John, he came unto his own world, and his own people received him not. He came to his own people, Israel, and he presented himself to them as their king. He made this presentation accompanied by all the credentials of King Messiah. The leaders of Israel had to force themselves not to believe. And in spite of all of this, they said, We will not have this man to reign over us. And to this very day, men still say that. In Pilate's judgment hall, he was rejected in this specific character, the character of king. Pilate had asked those Jews present, What? Shall I crucify your king? And those hearing his question replied, We have no king but Caesar. Just think how they and their descendants have suffered under all the Caesars since that time. It was all because of that tremendous mistake. The Savior said before he went away, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. By these words he meant that if man did not receive him and the truth he brought, which was to make them free, then they must still remain in bondage to sin with its dreadful consequences. And, as a part of those consequences, the world would have no peace. The Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh of humanity, foresaw all those scenes of strife and bloodshed that the world has experienced since that day. And in light of this knowledge, when they asked him, What shall be the sign of thy coming? He replied, And ye shall hear of wars, and rumors of wars. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. But the end is not yet. Do you remember what the little children sang as he rode into Jerusalem that last time? The Gospel writer tells us, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I never cease to be amazed at the degree of accuracy in Scripture. Notice the difference. At his birth, the angels sing, Peace on earth. However, just before his crucifixion, the children, divinely inspired, sing, Peace in heaven. You see, our Lord was going back to heaven, and he was taking with him the peace that he would so gladly have shared with the people of the world. And now, there sits at the right hand of God the man of peace. He has taken the peace that he brought to the earth and its unsaved dwellers with him. But before he went away, he said to his disciples, those who were truly his, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Let me point out an important observation. We have two distinct characters of peace in that verse. First, we have the peace that Jesus left. Peace I leave with you. That peace has to do with the question of sin. There could be no peace between God and man as long as sin came in as a barrier. 
two times in the prophecy of Isaiah, we read these words, There is no peace, saith Jehovah, to the wicked. In context, this statement relates to Jehovah's controversy with idols, but the statement is much broader than that. It pertains to all unbelievers in the world. There is no peace to those who put something else in place of the one true and living God. It was also Isaiah's prophecy that pictures the coming into the world of the Savior, Jehovah's servant, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the prophet says, He was despised and rejected of men. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah told how God's blessed son was to be rejected by his own people. Then he ended up that section of his prophecy with these words, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. That is, there's no peace for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone can give peace. But though he was the rejected one, he went to the cross to make atonement for sin. And when he did so, there was fulfilled the prophecy concerning the chastisement by which our peace is made. Therefore, in Colossians chapter 1, we read, Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ was referring to when he said, Peace I leave with you. He did not go back to heaven, to the Father's house, until he had settled the sin question and made it possible for man to be at peace with God. And he did this, of course, on a righteous basis. Always remember, there cannot be peace with God apart from righteousness. God's word says, the effect of righteousness shall be peace, quietness, and assurance forever. God's holy word also tells us that our Lord Jesus Christ is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, king of Salem. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Salem means peace. The Spirit of God further says, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Again, there is no peace apart from righteousness. For that reason, you and I, as sinners, could never make our peace with God. Way back in the antiquities of the Hebrew Scriptures, God challenged man to make peace with him. But no one could ever do it. In our day, when someone makes a religious commitment, we often hear people say, He's made his peace with God. Regardless of the kind of commitment made, this is an untrue statement. Man cannot make his peace with God. Why can't I make peace with God? It's because I have no ability to put away my sins. No efforts of mine could ever make satisfaction for even one of my multitude of sins. It's the sin barrier that keeps one from being at peace with God. But the Lord Jesus Christ, as our representative, went to the cross and made peace with God. He made peace by the blood of his cross. The Son of God took our place, settled the sin question, and so made peace for poor guilty men. He was the peacemaker. And it was this peace with God that he was leaving behind when he said, Peace I leave with you.
We do not make our peace with God. That peace has been made for us on the cross, and peace with God can belong to any person who simply trusts him as his or her personal Savior. My time is gone for today. We'll continue our study of the true peace on the next broadcast exactly where we leave off today. It's so good to greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. Welcome to another broadcast of The Bible Stands. We're involved in a study that I call The True Peace. Our text for this study is found in John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. We're considering the several aspects of the heavenly peace that our Lord Jesus Christ left behind in the hearts of those who believe on him when he ascended back to heaven. He said that he was leaving peace with us. And he said that he was giving peace unto us. Why did the Lord speak to his disciples in that particular way? Before we answer that question, let me again read our text in its entirety. Let me read John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. The first verse of our text seems to present two distinct characters of peace. First we have the peace that Jesus left. Peace I leave with you. This peace has to do with the Lord settling the sin question. There could be no peace between God and man as long as sin came in as a barrier. The Lord had to remove that barrier. And when he had done so, he could leave behind a peace treaty between heaven and earth. Mark this well. It's a principle of scripture that there is no peace to those who put something else in place of the one true and living God. Isaiah prophesies the coming into the world of the Savior, Jehovah's servant, our Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, He was despised and rejected of men. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah told how God's servant, his own blessed son, was to be rejected by his own people. Then he ended up that section of prophecy with these words, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. That is, there's no peace for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone can give the true peace. However, all Jesus won, he went to the cross to make propitiation for sin, and it was there that the prophecy concerning the chastisement by which our peace is made Concerning his work of the cross, the Apostle Paul, in Colossians chapter 1, wrote, Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. 
This is what our Lord was referring to when he said, Peace I leave with you. He did not go back to heaven until he had settled the sin question and made it possible for a man to be at peace with God. And of course he made this peace treaty on a righteous basis. We should always remember that there can be no peace with God apart from righteousness. The prophet Isaiah tells us, The effect of righteousness shall be peace, quietness, and assurance forever. Sinful man cannot make peace with God. Why is this? It's because mere man has no ability to put away sin. No effort of a mere human being could ever make satisfaction for sins. Only a divine person with a kinship to humanity could pay the penalty for sin. Only a person of God who took on the flesh of humanity could meet the requirements of a kinsman redeemer. And only a divine kinsman redeemer could act as the mediator of our treaty of peace with the holy God of heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, as our representative, went to the cross and made peace. He made peace by the blood of his cross. In Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13, we read this prophecy. He shall be a priest upon his throne, and the counsel of peace shall be between them both. That is, the covenant of peace is made between the Father and the Son. The Son took our place. He settled the sin question, and in doing so, he made peace for poor guilty men. Therefore, everyone who will may come to God as repentant sinners. Then, the very moment we trust him, we can say, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot make our own peace with God. We can't make peace with God, but the good news is that peace with God was made for us nearly 2,000 years ago. The Lord signed that peace treaty between the earth and heaven in the blood of his cross at Calvary. Our peace is already made. We don't have to go around trying to establish our own peace treaty. All we have to do is take advantage of that peace treaty that's already signed for us. The Lord said, Peace I leave with you. And that he did. Before he left this earth, he had purchased our peace with God. A story is told that demonstrates this situation. The story is not original with me, but it probably is true. However, I don't have personal knowledge of the facts in the case. At the close of the war between the states, we're told that a troop of federal cavalry were riding along a road between Richmond and Washington. As they passed, they saw a wretched human being, clothed in what had once been a Confederate uniform, emerge from the brush to stand in the road. He called to the captain of the troop who, in response to his call, stopped and waited for him. As the man drew near, he gasped out, I'm starving to death. Can you help me? Can you give me some food? The captain replied, Starving to death? Why don't you go into Richmond, which is only a few miles from here, and get what you need? The starving Confederate answered, I don't dare because if I did, I would be arrested. Three weeks ago, I became completely disheartened, and I deserted from the Confederate Army. I've been hiding in these woods ever since, just waiting for an opportunity to get through the lines to the north because I knew that if I were arrested, I would be shot for desertion in time of war. The captain looked at him in unbelief and said, Haven't you heard the news? What news was the answer of the Confederate? Why, the war is over. Peace has been made. 
General Lee surrendered to General Grant at Appomattox two weeks ago. The Confederacy is ended. What, the soldier exclaimed, peace has been made for two weeks and I've been starving in the woods because I didn't know it? That was the gospel of peace to that Confederate soldier. He heard the good news of peace and he was able to take advantage of it simply by including himself in it. All he had to do was to accept that which had already been done for him. All of you who are within the sound of my voice today should listen very closely to what I'm about to say. Peace with God was made over 1900 years ago. However, millions in the world today are dying in their sins. They're spiritually starving to death because they simply don't know it. You don't have to make your own peace with God. You don't have to atone for your own sins. You couldn't do it, but Jesus Christ has done it all for you. You may come to God in his name. When you do that, all that he accomplished at Calvary will be put down to your account. The one who died on the cross to make propitiation for your sins has been raised again. He's been raised again as proof to the whole world that God accepted his treaty of peace. He sits today at God's right hand, speaking peace to all who turn to him. He speaks peace to all who trust him as their redeemer. Therefore, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. Have we all availed ourselves of it? Can each of us say, I thank God that I am justified by faith and I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? We can each have that peace simply by committing our hearts and lives to him. But that's only one side of it. That's only the peace with God that our Lord Jesus Christ left in the world when he went away. He spoke of another aspect of peace in that very same verse. He continued on to say, My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. In effect, our Lord was saying to those who believe in him, I'm going to give you a peace that will keep you from heart trouble. Surely all of us are aware that we're living in extremely strenuous days and times. We all know that there is a heart trouble which may cause great sorrow and distress, even though the physical heart may be in very good condition. That kind of heart trouble comes when one has to endure worry because of world conditions, or perhaps pain because of bereavement, financial trouble, family trials, and perhaps even saddest of all, church trouble. Probably the greatest sorrow people have to endure is trouble among Christians who do not trust one another or have affection one for another anymore. Christians who are no longer being helpful to one another are really hinderers of one another's progress. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. He was speaking to Christian brethren. And yet how often we come up against Christians who are doing the very opposite. We all know that this can and does happen. Christians are not all willing to take advantage of the peace that our Lord gave unto us. Then, of course, there are the sorrows we have to endure out in the world. There are certainly enough things going on everywhere today that are enough to break any sensitive heart. Yet we find that Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. These words of our blessed Lord should speak quiet rest to all troubled hearts. My peace I give unto you. The same Lord who could say reproach hath broken my heart was standing before his disciples with his spirit in perfect peace. By his words, we can know that this same peace that possessed the heart of the Son of God, he desires to impart to us. 
How may we obtain that peace? The prophet Isaiah has given us the answer. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, we read these words, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. My time is gone for today. We'll continue our study of the true peace on the next broadcast. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Welcome to another broadcast of The Bible Stands. I've entitled the series of messages that I'm now bringing, The True Peace. We're dealing with the section of our Lord's Upper Room Discourse that's recorded in John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. We're considering the several aspects of the peace that he left with his disciples when he returned to heaven and to his Father's house. At his crucifixion, he made peace by the blood of his cross. That is, he signed the peace treaty between earth and heaven with his own blood, and therefore left this peace with God in the earthly sphere as he returned to the right hand of the Father in heaven. But he also gave another aspect of peace to his disciples. This is the peace in their hearts, that can only come from knowing Him as Savior and from knowing the eternal plan of God for those who are saved by God's grace. Let me open this fourth message of the series by again reading our text in its entirety. These words are found in John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. The Lord opened this portion of his discourse with the words, Peace I leave with you. By this he spoke of the peace with God that he was to make by his propitiatory sacrifice on that Roman cross. Man could not be at peace with God until the sin question was settled. When he died as the substitute for all men, then he provided a righteous basis for God's gracious forgiveness of the sins of mankind. Therefore, he could leave behind peace with God for all who would receive him as their personal Savior. Thus, man's peace with God was made almost 2,000 years ago. Man cannot make his own peace with God nor is it necessary that he do so. Our peace with God is already made, and it was that treaty of peace in his own blood that the Lord promised to leave behind. His words were, Peace I leave with you. Then the Lord said, My peace I give unto you. Now he was speaking of another aspect of peace. He was speaking of that peace, that tranquility of heart, that can belong to all who know that they have been born again to eternal life. At the time he delivered his upper room discourse, he could have said, Reproach hath broken my heart. And yet, even at that critical time, his spirit was in perfect peace. This very same peace that possessed the heart of the Son of God at that moment, he now desires to impart unto his disciples, unto us. How may we obtain this peace? 
Well, we read in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. There we have the entire secret, trust and confidence in a God of love, a God of infinite power, who worketh all things according to his will, is all that's necessary to impart perfect peace into the hearts of those who know the Savior. The scripture bids us to come to him to receive our measure of perfect peace. Just listen to Paul's words of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which patheth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The real meaning of this Philippians passage is this. The peace of God shall garrison your heart, or keep your heart, or protect your heart. That is the true peace which the Lord Jesus Christ would share with all who are his own. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Lord assured his disciples that he was not going away until he had made peace with God for all mankind. That treaty of peace was the peace that he promised to leave behind. Then he promised a peace that he would give. That peace of mind and heart would be the Christian's garrison against the trials and tribulations of this world. That gift of inward contentedness would calm the heart of the believer under the most adverse circumstances. Because of the believer's knowledge of his own salvation and eternal destiny, he would be able to face whatever the world offered with a peace that passeth all understanding, giving him a joyous heart. My peace I give unto you. The peace that the Lord gives is not the false peace of this world system. It's not the cry of peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's not the cry of peace and safety that the world will voice at the very time that sudden destruction cometh upon them. No, it's a different kind of peace entirely. The Lord said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. His peace is the true peace that cannot be disturbed by anything under the sun. The Prince of Peace brought peace to the world at his first advent, and during the time his feet walked this earth, there was no war anywhere. But when he returned to heaven, he took the world's peace with him. This is why the little children sing at the time of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The world's peace went back to heaven, but the gift of peace was left in the hearts of the Lord's disciples. This is why he could say to them, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In the continuing verses of our scripture passage, we see how our blessed Lord was kept in peace in the face of the most adverse circumstances. He continued, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice. Here we have a strong word of comfort for those believers who have lost believing loved ones from this world. The Lord said, I have told you that I'm going away. 
It was through this wording that the Lord had predicted his own death. He was to undergo that ultimate experience that faces every member of the human race, except for those who are raptured to heaven at the time of his appearing in the air. He was to die. His soul and spirit were to be separated from that mortal body that housed them. The body was to be placed in the tomb. He was speaking of his own physical death. But in spite of the meaning of his prediction, he said, Ye should be glad that I'm going away, because I'm going to the Father. That was his destination. He was returning to the bosom of the Father, and this, instead of being a reason for sorrow, was a reason for great rejoicing. The Lord was to undergo a death experience, but that experience was only to place him in the presence of the Father. What about the loved ones who have left us through the same kind of experience? Where have they gone? Of course, they've gone to the Father. Surely it should gladden the hearts of us who remain that they have entered into the Father's house. That in itself should give rise to the peace that passeth all understanding that the Lord has given to those who are his own. And then the Lord said, My Father is greater than I. Remember, he who is God, the eternal word who took on the flesh of humanity, the one of whom John wrote, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God the Son became man. And as man on earth, he took the place of subjection to the Father. He, the eternal God himself, is not lesser in substance than the Father. But because of his voluntary subjection in office, he could say, My Father is greater than I. As the eternal Son, our Lord Jesus Christ is one. He is co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. But in his office as the Savior and Redeemer of mankind, he took a subordinate position in the heavenly administration. The Apostle Paul explains all of this to us in his words of Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. The Lord Jesus Christ, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Our Lord took the place of recognized subjection to the Father, and because he did this, Paul goes on to tell us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The Lord's subordination is only in office, and is only in time. In eternity, he is highly exalted, without subordination of office, of substance, or of position. But as he spoke to his disciples there in that upper room, he could in all truth declare, My Father is greater than I. Our Lord was going to the Father, and instead of being sad, those who loved him were told to rejoice. His physical death was to be a time of rejoicing. It was to be that death that would permit the eternal plan of the ages to be carried out. It was that death that was to provide a righteous basis for the grace of God to be poured out on all who would receive it. It was to be that death that made peace with God for guilty sinners of this world. And it was also to be that death that made it possible for the Son of God to give his great gift of eternal peace to the hearts of many who had never known peace before. To those who come to him for forgiveness of sins, all those may have that peace if they will only receive it. 
This is the true peace. I see that my time is gone for today. We'll conclude our study of the true peace on the next broadcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. It's so good to greet you once again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Today I'm bringing the final message in a series that I call The True Peace. We're studying that portion of our Lord's Upper Room Discourse that's recorded in John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. In this direct quotation from the Lord's own mouth, we have a declaration of the two kinds of peace that the Prince of Peace has supplied for those who believe in Him. There's the peace that we have with God because of His atoning sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. It was there on that cross that he signed in his own blood the treaty of peace between earth and heaven. And because of this peace with God, the believer can have perfect peace within his own heart. That is the gift of peace that the Lord promised to his disciples. To open this final message of the series, let me once again read our text in its entirety. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If ye loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. The Lord told his disciples, Peace I leave with you. He was prepared to go out to the cross and shed his precious blood so that a treaty of peace could be signed between God and man. It was at Calvary that he made peace by the blood of his cross. When he ascended back to heaven, he took the world's peace back with him, but he left behind a covenant of peace with all who would simply believe on him. He further said to his disciples, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Not only did he purchase man's peace with God, but he also gave the gift of peace in the heart to all who would, in simple faith, place themselves under his blood. That peace is a calmness and tranquility of heart that can be possessed even under the most adverse circumstances of this world. Those who come to Christ will know tribulation in this world, but even while undergoing such tribulation, the child of God can be in perfect peace. That's why the Lord continued, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Lord went on to remind those who were in his presence, You have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Our Lord Jesus Christ wanted his disciples to understand that he was going to die. His time had come to endure that death for which he had prepared since eternity past. However, he did not speak of his impending death in the terms that would be expected from a mere man. Rather, he spoke of his impending death as a departure. He did not speak of going into a state of sleep or a state of limbo. He simply spoke of his death as a journey. He reminded those present of his earlier words to them, I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. His reminder was not stated in those former words. Rather, he said, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. His death on the cross was simply a portal through which he could depart, and the promised departure was to be followed by a return. Therefore, there was no cause for sadness on the part of his disciples. Rather, it was a time for rejoicing for those who truly loved him. He said, If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father. The Lord's death simply meant his departure from this earth to return to his Father in heaven. And of course the clear inference is that those who know him as their Savior, who suffer physical death, also are only departing this earth to go to the Father's house. Therefore the death of a Christian should be a time of rejoicing rather than sorrow. When our loved ones in Christ depart this earth to move into the Father's house, we should be rejoicing in their good fortune rather than sad because of our own loneliness. The Lord also said, For my Father is greater than I. With these words he spoke of his office rather than his essence of being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Godhead, are co-equal in being and in essence. However, within the eternal plan of redemption, the persons of God occupied different corporate offices. The Son voluntarily subordinated himself to the Father in office so that he might become our kinsman redeemer. And although he is co-equal in power and glory with God the Father, he could still truthfully say, For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. The Lord told his disciples that he had predicted his death to them so that when it actually happened, they would believe. By these words, he meant that he wanted them to know that all these things were in the plan of God from eternity past. He wanted his death on the cross to increase their faith rather than to destroy it. He was pointing out that his atoning death was necessary if he was to make man's peace with God. The Father would accept his death on the cross as full payment for all the sins of all humanity. The Father would demonstrate his acceptance of the Son's work to all the world by raising his only begotten Son from the dead after his human body had spent three full days in the garden tomb. It was necessary for these things to be prophesied beforehand so that when the events took place, they would serve to substantiate the faith of our Lord's disciples. However, the Lord's words might be applied to many things going on in this world today. If we didn't have the witness of Holy Scripture as to the conditions that are to prevail in this world, we might become discouraged. There has been well over 1900 years of gospel preaching, and yet the world today is in such a turmoil that many unbelievers say the gospel is a failure. However, let me make my next statement in no uncertain terms. The gospel is not a failure. The great majority of the people who hear it will not receive the gospel. Therefore, it cannot work in their lives. A common question that I often hear from the people of the world is, don't you think Christianity has failed miserably? Let me take time right now to answer that question. Christianity has not failed. Rather, it's never been tried by the majority of the world. 
God has written his holy word to show us beforehand the conditions that will prevail until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. All true believers can rest in complete confidence. They can have perfect peace that all is known to God and that God will overrule all the evil of this world for good. That is our message of perfect peace for these troubled times. The Lord completed this part of his discourse with the words, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Let me emphasize, these are the Lord's words. Neither you nor I could say what he just said. The most devout Christian that ever lived could not dare say those words. The prince of this world is the devil, and there is something in both you and me that or that rather that responds to the prince of this world. But the Lord Jesus Christ had nothing like that in him. He knew absolutely no sin. Therefore, when the prince of this world came to him, there was no traitor inside waiting to throw open the door. We have to be on guard against Satan's wiles. But there was no such thing in the Lord's case. He was always and ever the sinless, spotless, unblemished Son of God. The Lord was not to have much additional time to talk to those disciples that were with him in the upper room. His rendezvous with the betrayer was fast approaching. He must go out to the Garden of Gethsemane so that the prince of this world could have his encounter with the Son of God. But he had nothing in me. Satan never had a chance of winning that great encounter. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Our Lord's final commandment was, Arise, let us go hence. Go where? They were to go to Gethsemane, and then out to Golgotha. What for? The Lord gave the reason that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. This is the burnt offering aspect of the work of Christ on the cross. He died on that Roman tree not only to put away sin, but also to glorify the Father. God had been so dishonored in this world by man's wickedness and disobedience, and then the Son of God became man and was obedient even to the death of the cross. He was glorified the Father in such a way that God has received more glory through that sacrifice than he ever lost by all of man's sin. It's of this that the burnt offering speaks. Christ offered himself a sacrifice and a sweet-smelling savor to God. But we should expect this because God's glory and our salvation are linked up together. Therefore, since God has now been glorified in the work of the cross, he can be both just and the justifier of all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be justified before God, free from guilt forever, that is the true peace. That's the peace that our Lord left with us. And it's the basis for the peace that all believers can have in their hearts. This is why the Lord could say, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Am I speaking to one today who does not know this true peace? You can know it. Just receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart by praying, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. I believe that you died in my place so that I could be justified before God. Please come into my heart and give me eternal life and the true peace. My time is gone for today. I've been great, greatly blessed in bringing you this series of messages on the true peace. 
Broadcast Incorporated, Post Office Box 864930, Plano, Texas 75086.